verses 25 through 30. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who, is, who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, Redemption. How are we doing this morning? It's pretty good. Uh, we was just told by some people here that the area that's located over here has been labeled the Holy of Holies. And so congratulations. I didn't hear much of them. They, they seemed the holy. What's that? No, it's, there's, you know, the veil's torn now, Doug. Okay, let it go. Okay, you can all sit there. So welcome, my name is Vince, I'm one of the pastors here, great to be with you. We have been doing a study through the book of John as we've been able to be outside now, I think it's almost two months, we've been out here. We want to give you a quick heads up, we'll reiterate some of this at the end of service as well, but we will be moving back inside on November 1st, which is just two Sundays from today, okay, so start preparing yourself for that. Uh, if you've ever been to the restroom here, you'll notice there's big signs that the school board has put up that says... Anyone inside has to have a mask on, and so listen, when we're in service back November 1st, masks will be mandatory. We will have social distancing measures as, long, uh, as well as having a whole bunch of hand sanitizer just kind of everywhere. We're going to cake it on you. We're going to smatter it on your face. It's just going to be everywhere. It's going to be delightful, and so that's the plan November 1st. It should be really great to be back together inside singing. I can't wait for it, and so uh, yeah, join us November 1st, two Sundays from today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter. 3, we're finishing off that chapter this morning. If you're not familiar with the Bible, John chapter 3 is towards maybe like two-thirds of the way into your Bibles, uh, and you can turn there. If you have the phone, go ahead and pull up that app and turn to John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 22 this morning. Now, if you joined us last week, or maybe even if you missed it, let me give you a little recap. We looked at John 3.16, which is probably, we said, the most famous verse in the history of the Bible, especially here in the West, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever should believe should not perish but have everlasting life. What's going to happen now is, is the Apostle John transitions into this story about John the Baptist, a person with whom Jesus pretty much said he's the best human to ever live, okay? So if Jesus, if God says, you're the best human to ever live, you should look to this man and say, please teach me, okay? That's, so we're going to listen to John today as he helps form and shape a little bit about what does it mean to believe? What is the shape of that belief? Is it just mere cognitive assent? In other words, can we just say it and think it? Like we have enough knowledge where we can say the right thing? Or is there some other things that seem to be postures that come behind that belief that the Lord is after? 
okay? And then would that so form us as a church? So John's going to give us three of those things, three, three things that shape the posture of a Christian who wants to have Jesus Christ as Lord. Then he's going to give us three reasons why we should have those, and then he's going to land with, because here's what's at stake in the midst of all of it, all right? So let's start John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. Which, just pause, I love that for a moment, just these little nuggets in the Bible, where you're just like, hey, why did did John the Baptist choose that place? Ah, there was a lot of water, right? It's like, why go swimming there? Because there was a pool. It's, It's like the same equivalent. It's just such a random note. And it just shows us this is just a documentary. And that's really, and I meant to say this at the beginning, John, the gospel of John, what you're reading, what we're saying today is is really just a picture. It's a documentary of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get to zoom in on it. So I love that verse. He goes on, and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison, which is a cross-reference to Mark 1.14, if you're a note-taker, where Mark in his gospel, another documentary about the life of Jesus, says after the, the, the imprisonment of John, then these things happen. So it places the events just prior to that moment in Mark 1.14. Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, here's the context. Purification rituals were a norm for the Jewish people. If you study through the Hebrew scriptures, what we uh, Christians call the Old Testament, you will see these constant desires from God that the people should be ritually cleansed. And these things would happen in different ways. There was moments where they would be fully immersed in water, okay, in these baths that were positioned around the cities. There would be moments where water would be sprinkled upon them. And so this is why you get the kind of different types of baptism we have today in kind of contemporary Western Christian worlds. And so these purification rituals were established by God to be these signposts and these pictures of God's cleansing of his people that they might be free, that they might be sinless, that God might restore them and point to something greater that he was doing. Now, this might sound kind of crazy to us that that God would require, like, oh, and be cleansed. But listen, anytime, hopefully, that you've been on a date, you've taken a shower before you've gone right? Like if there was something important you were going to do, you're going to be around someone that you're trying to impress, you should shower, okay? Not every guy does that, okay? But that's filthy and gross. And ladies, just as a side nugget, if you meet a guy who doesn't shower, you should find another guy. So this doesn't sound that crazy, right? If you're about to come into the presence of God, if you're about to commune with God, it makes sense that there would be this ritual ceremony. Okay, cleanse me, Lord. I want to be in your presence in the same way. Okay, I want to be with a close, you get already, I don't need to say it again, but just, I, I want to be there. Let's, let me do this thing. So it's not that, that wild. And so we've, we zoom into this story here. John is baptizing, which is being seen as this purification ritual where people are coming and they're being submersed in water. Something the Jews would have been very familiar with, this moment of, of God, okay, he's cleansing and he's, he's, he's setting things new. 
And John, if you remember just a few weeks ago, I think Anthony preached this text, uh, that John baptized Jesus. The Savior of the world was baptized by John. And so these Jews come up and they confront John and they start to sow maybe a little bit of dissension here. And they say, hey, John the Baptist, remember the guy that you, that you baptized? Yeah, he's starting his own thing over there. He's baptizing people over there. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's taking your people and he's bringing them over to himself. And what we get to learn from this story is John revealing the posture of the heart of those who would choose to follow Jesus. Because in this moment, John could have gotten self-protective, right? He's like, no, no, this is my stuff. Like, I'm the one doing the baptism. I want my followers. That's not the direction he's going to go. You see this already in our culture today. This, this constant infighting amongst the people of God, right? You know, this is, this is my church. This is our church up and against that church. That is foolishness, friends. And listen, we need to be intentionally combative against that type of dissension that, believe me, Satan would want to sow amongst his people. We need to take the posture of John, who's about to tell him, no, 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 it's good, and here's why. In fact, hear me, if, if there is some type of protection, and I'll just talk about, I can talk about Redemption Church, I'm a pastor here. If there's some protection on behalf of our staff over this, up and against any other church, hear me, this is not us building the kingdom of God, it's us building the kingdom of redemption, and we need to repent of that. We seek to make the Lord most high, most high. When there is this constant battle amongst the people of God over truly secondary, tertiary issues. Where there's a significant issue of of heresy. Listen, I get it. Listen, we we have to address that. We have to combat that. Because again, we're trying to uphold Jesus but we're here debating about, eh, should they be doing it this way? Or, and that's just something from a posture already that we have to know and have to learn. We're here to build the kingdom of Jesus. And so John is trying to do this very same thing, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I, mo- I know most of you probably have this memorized, but if you don't turn there, Malachi 3, 1. For those of you new to church, that was a joke. No one here has that memorized, Okay. He says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is a reference to John the Baptist, the one who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is Jesus. He's come to establish and set up this man to come and preach and teach. Going on in verse 3, he says, he, uh, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi, the descendants of the people of God. Now the church and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord, that in this, what Jesus has come to proclaim is a kingdom message that is going to refine and purify a people for himself. 
that all who would come into his presence would be refined in the same way we see the beauty of the purification ritual in the Old Testament, the baptism in our story now. We would be made clean and purified for our Lord. Refiner's fire, very hot. Burns at such a level to be able to remove the dross, which would be the equivalent of our sin away from us. Fuller's soap, if you're not familiar, contains lye, not L-I-E, L-Y-E. It's super strong. You don't use this in the bath. This is the clean stuff. He's saying, I'm going to purify to the deepest levels and make you like me. So John comes in and he's baptizing for that purpose. Jesus now is baptizing for that purpose. John recognizes this and gives the Jews three reasons, and now us, why and how our hearts and lives should be so postured before our Lord. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so these three postures of the heart that seeks to serve and know Jesus. The first one, a posture that realizes that everything you and I have was given to us by God. Everything you have was given to you by God. Not some things, not a few things, all things. Everything you have was given to you by God. This is revolutionary for a world bent and driven by consumerism and achievement that believes that we get to where we get to, that we have what we have because we worked harder than the person there. Now, this is not to discount hard work, okay? I grew up with a dad and a mom who worked their tails off. My mom immigrated from Vietnam, learned her English by playing Scrabble, okay, and watching game shows with Chuck Woolery, okay? Pray for whoever that's going to. Hard work is a good thing, but that hard work did not get you what you have because there are people who work just as hard as you who do not have. There are people who, who work hardly as hard as you who have more than you have and many that have less. What we possess, we possess because the Lord has given it to us. Here's what this does. This levels the playing field. There is no pride in ownership. There is no pride that should puff up that says, I have this and you don't, or I know this and you don't. 
Oftentimes in the reform tradition that we find ourselves in, we're often known as the worst, most annoying Christians because we've allowed our brains to be puffed up with this information. And for some reason, a gospel and a story and a theology that says, you've done nothing, God's done everything, has made us prideful. It makes no sense. There's nothing you possess. This includes your skill set, your giftings, your abilities. Did you, did you work hard to craft those? Sure, but again, some people worked hard and, and never got any better. It's not about us. That's point one. The second one. <clears throat> Take the posture of believing that our joy, just like John's, is complete. It is full. It is topped up, does not need anything else to be in it. His joy is complete in Hearing the voice of Jesus. Again, does this mean that other voices are not helpful? We can't listen to them? No. But if the attainment of them is for the purpose of, okay, well, this will grant me more joy, more peace, more hope, we're seeking out the wrong thing. The fullness of joy is found in heeding and hearing the voice of Jesus. How do we access the voice of Jesus? Just yell it out. Well, that, yeah, that's really good. Curtis wins. I mean, that is the word. We access the voice of Jesus through the Bible. When you can read what he said, there's one other way. Who knows? John, thanks. Is David the only one playing? Okay. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> that was Anthony. <laughs> I don't know if I should shut this down or keep this going. This is great. <laughs> he said uh, that no one wants to answer because they don't want to look dumb. That's true. We hear his voice through prayer. You talk to God. It says that the Holy Spirit does what? He will bring all things to remembrance of that which he said. That when you pray, you don't speak to air. You're talking to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will bring all things that Christ has said to remembrance how do we speak to Jesus? The word and prayer. So then what should then be the posture of the heart of the person who says they believe in Christ? We go to the word and we go to prayer as the source for our joy, as the primary source for our knowledge. We talked about this a few weeks ago, so I don't want to belabor it, but I'll just say this one thing one more time, that if other voices are speaking to you more than the voice of Jesus, we're doing it wrong. And I'm just as guilty. If I'm spending more time watching YouTube videos, Facebook posts, and whatever else I can get my hands on, and not the scriptures and talking to Jesus through the power of the Spirit, my priorities are messed up. 
This, Dave, you need to come sit front and center, bro. This is good. I need this. Okay? We listen to the voice of Jesus. It is where joy is found. And hear me, I think if we just, if you could just take a moment and begin to think through the points of contention and pain and dissension in your life, why do you feel certain ways about certain things? It's based on thoughts that have been formed in your brain by people speaking to you other than Christ. May the words of Jesus form God's people. And let's, let's not, I mean, this is as practical as it gets, church. Let us wake up tomorrow and listen to Jesus and talk to Jesus and monitor how often we're listening to other voices over his own. The last one, and maybe one of the, most, one of the most famous lines, I think a lot of people have heard this, I don't know how much we love to embrace this, that the posture of the Christian that wants to follow Jesus must decrease, that Jesus' voice, that Jesus may increase. Now, we are on board with the Jesus increasing stuff, yes? We're like, you know, let, let, let's let Jesus be big, I'm in. But us decrease? Less of me? But the, wor- the world needs more of me, right? We have kids so they can have more mini-me's just floating around the world. The decrease stuff is really difficult. Because <laughs> it means literally setting aside these things we think we deserve. God, but, but, but this is what I want. And, and you and I, man, I tell you, we've been raised in a culture, in a factory that has constantly told you that every want you have, you should get. And now the Bible's coming in and saying, yeah, that's not true. In fact, we actively run the other direction. The world keeps saying, take this, take this, take this. We know it because we watch commercials that tell you, you don't have enough, so buy our product. You're not good enough, so take this thing. Take this, take this, take this. The Bible says, no, 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 give it away, give it away, give it away now. Those red hot chili peppers for you guys, okay? All that, all that whole, that whole NAU section was like, I, I don't know who they are, okay? The Bible says, no, no, no. What you have, give it away. The status that you've achieved, lower yourself. You don't need to be the center of attention. Hear me. And those, of the, those in the room that really know me are literally like, yeah, dude, you don't have to be the center of attention. As I yell from up front, that's the lead pastor of this church. I should quit. I'm going to quit. Anthony, 
we decrease. Pastor Tim Mon, who's honestly like one of my like faith heroes. People have said about him, he's, he's the pastor at Redemption Gilbert, for those you who don't know, the lead pastor over there. And uh, people said about him, and I agree with it, he's the greatest leader nobody knows about. And when we pray together as a leadership team, we get together as staff almost every time. Sometimes, I don't know, he forgets other stuff's on his mind or whatever, but almost every time he prays a very simple prayer, and it's Lord, and he's speaking about redemption as a corporate reality, as a church, and then us as individuals, and he always prays us this, and it's keep us small. Lord, please keep us small. Now, does that mean that we, we don't want people showing up here on a Sunday or we don't want people in small groups or we don't want to see lots of people converted, baptized, and plugged into community and mission? No, that doesn't mean any of that. It's saying, Lord, we recognize the proclivity of our hearts to puff ourselves up, build our own kingdoms, and allow our pride to dictate the way we act. So, Lord, please keep us small. Because as we decrease, the Lord is magnified. And we would all say yes and amen. That's what we want. Okay, if that's what we want, church, we must decrease. We must humble ourselves and lower. Oh, sweet. She's the best. All right. The Apostle Paul talks about this same idea in Philippians chapter 3. If you want to turn, it's just a few books to the right in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. He addresses the same issue. He'll address it again in 2 Corinthians 12.10. If you're a note taker, let me read these. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if anyone thinks there's something, I'm better than you. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had had, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will gladly and with desire pursue my weakness because in my weakness I depend and people see the power of God. Paul's like, no, 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 we decrease that Christ may increase. We don't contend for us. We don't fight for us. We fight for him. We don't have to make much of ourselves. We don't have to curate our lives on some social media app to prove something to the world that is a false picture of reality. No, we... we we go low. This is upside down. This, this, this should be confusing in the culture we live in that seeks and pursues fame and righteousness and justification from those around us. 
Jesus is like, no, 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 less, less, less. And in the lessness, there is joy. There's a book um, called The J-Curve that I, we've talked about here before. Um, Anthony and I love it. We have been tremendously shaped by it. Uh, I would say probably those closest to us would say we haven't been shaped by it enough. But it is an amazing idea. I don't have time to get into it. I would highly recommend you go online, you buy a book called The J-Curve by Paul Miller, and you read it. Okay? Please. It's very good. And it's this idea. Okay? Now, imagine what life would look like if these were the postures of the heart of the church. Lord, we listen to your voice almost predominantly. Okay? Other things are just, you know, additions. We, we, We go low because we so desire to see Christ made high. (coughs) Excuse me. And we remember that everything we have was given from you. So there's no place for pride. This is just, what a humble posture. Maybe I'm saying too much, and I should have just said from the very beginning what this is, is a humble posture. Be humble. Have humility mark the life of the church. What if the church did that? Because that's what Jesus looks like. Now, I think for many of us, we've just crafted our lives after a Jesus that, let's be honest, just is a Jesus we made. It's a Jesus that our culture has formed, not one that the scriptures have. And so then we say, okay, no, I'm following Jesus, and I don't even... I wouldn't even push back too hard against the many, 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 many Christians in our country that say, no, 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 I I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I take the posture of Jesus. And I'd say, okay, but which Jesus? Because the Jesus of the scriptures, uh, flat out, it's a different version than contemporary Western culture. And not even contemporary world. They don't know Jesus like the church is supposed to know Jesus. The Bible talks about a different Jesus. And so again, if we're not in it, if we're not reading it, if we're not in prayer and in a community that points us to it, we will follow a false Jesus. And it will lead us towards pride and not humility. Death and not life. So as we come on the tail end and start laying this, here's the three reasons why, and we'll go through these pretty quick. John the Baptist, three reasons why this just makes sense for the people of God. Verse 31, back in John chapter 3. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And I'm sure there's more, but let's look at three reasons why John the Baptist saying that posture, this is why. The first one, Jesus is above all. Meaning, we are below him. He is over Everything. Colossians 1 says that he made all things 
and holds all things together, and that all things were made through him, for him, and by him. Jesus is above all, so we are under him. We've talked about this. Johnny does a great job of this during the first half of our worship set in the mornings. Is The first song we sing is a song of adoration. It's a song of praise and exhortation. Like, oh my gosh, look what, look what God is and what God's done. Like, this is, this is unbelievable. The next song is that song of confession that Johnny talked about today. Because when you see something that good, right, it, it just kind of humbles you a bit. It's like that first time you see the Grand Canyon or the first time you get out. Okay, we live in Flagstaff, so we take this for granted. But if you grew up in a city and the first time you get to the forest and can see the stars and you're like, uh-oh, I am pretty small and insignificant. Now, side note, you're not insignificant. You're very significant because you're made in the Lord's image. Just want to make sure we know that. But just that feeling of like, oh, man, am I tiny. Jesus is saying, no, no, you know the cosmos, the earth, the stars, the plants, everything created? I'm above all that too. Why do you take that posture? Because he's just above us. And we sit in awe of that reality. The second one, because Jesus speaks in a heavenly way and we speak in an earthly way. So he's just justifying his point from before. That Jesus is the voice we should be listening to. Why? Because he speaks in a heavenly way. We speak in an earthly way. That doesn't mean that our earthly ways are bad. They just mean that they're limited. We don't know everything that our Jesus knows because he's come from heaven. He made heaven. He made earth. He created speech. So clearly he's the voice that we should be listening to over and above even one another, except for what I'm saying right now. Fully listen to what I'm saying, but everything else. We listen to Jesus because he speaks with the words of God. The Spirit poured out in full measure upon our Savior Jesus. The words that he speaks are the words of God because he is God enfleshed. What does God care about? What does God look like? How does God act? How does God feel? What does God do? What would God think about this? Look to Jesus because he speaks the words of God. We speak the words of man. Again, the words of man are not bad. They're just not the words of God. The last one. And again, a doubling down of his point from before, Jesus possesses all things. We possess nothing. Why were all things given to you? Because the possessor, the owner of those things is God. And so he just distributes as he pleases from his great wealth. You and I do not possess stuff. We steward stuff. There's some things that the Lord has so saw fit to place in your sphere of influence. Again, this includes your gifts and your talents. It includes the things that you have, the things that you uh, wear, the homes you live in. All of it. He's the owner of it. 
Think if you walked into a store, which is Hobby Lobby just opened, right? Just go in there and just start taking stuff. Oh, no, I'm going to take this. I'm, not going to pay. I'm just going to take it. They would say no. Why? Because they own the stuff. And you can't just go take it and give it to somebody else. He possesses all things. So we know all things must have been given to us. So then we understand that we cannot be puffed up or proud about the things that we have. Because he is the owner, not ourselves. So, what's at stake here? Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's heavy language. Again, remember the reason why the Apostle John wrote this gospel, this documentary. He says at the end of it, he says, I wrote this that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you might look to Jesus, that you might embody Jesus, that you would run and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior for your life. Not just here, but for forever. And so John the Baptist gets to the end of this explanation. This is the posture of those who follow. That's why I'm excited that Jesus is baptizing. Because this is my posture, John says, and this is why. Because that guy over there, he owns all things. These aren't my people, they're his people. And so on and so forth. But he gets to the end, he says, whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. Whoever does not, the wrath of God shall remain on him. The book of Romans does a phenomenal job theologically, but if we even just study the arc narrative of the scriptures, it points to a God who hates sin, who wants to destroy sin, and wants to restore the world. The Bible tells us that we are sinful, that we hurt each other, that we slander one another. Jesus doubles down in the Sermon on the Mount that says, if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder against someone. He says, if you've committed lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. Jesus is serious about sin because he knows how destructive it can be. We can easily forget how destructive sin can be. Well, let's just give one quick illustration. There shouldn't be death. Another one. There shouldn't be crying or pain. There shouldn't be hate. There shouldn't be oppression. There shouldn't be racism. There shouldn't be adultery. There shouldn't be divorce. There shouldn't be malice. All the things that are so broken, there shouldn't be abuse. None of that should exist but for our sin. God looks upon it and says, I, I want to destroy sin because it's destroying my people and the world that I've made. Careful. I've seen movies where that just will go right through the heart of somebody. So, 
Do you get that? For God so loved the world that he killed Jesus. He killed himself because sin destroys that much. And so the wrath of God was poured out on Christ that all who would believe that that substitutionary beautiful reality of the cleansing blood of Jesus would be applied to us. And he says, just believe, follow Jesus, and you shall have eternal life. But don't, and the wrath of God is still upon you. That sin must still be taken care of. John's crying out from the wilderness because he knows that what's at stake is a hell here and a hell forever. Or a beautiful kingdom that is being realized here and one that will be realized in its fullness later. And he puts it to the Jew and says, believe Believe and be saved. Keep yourself from God's wrath and from hell and move into light and to heaven, here and hereafter. John's exhortation to the church, to the Jew, to us now, we must decrease that the Lord may increase. Beautiful words and a beautiful reality. Jesus lived that out to its fullest. Jesus, who was in heaven on high, who was above all, who made all things intentionally in love, decreased, came down into a manger, was born into poverty, was born into persecution, where Herod the Great was trying to kill him as a baby. He decreased and made himself lower. That who might increase, all who would believe in his name. So these aren't just theoretical words from, from John encouraging the church. Decrease so Christ would increase. He's like, no, I did that. I lived that out. I decreased that you might increase. So now go and do the same. Because the church, what's the one thing that we can say at the end of every day? What should we do? Be like Jesus. Period. And so we decrease that Christ may increase and in his increase more see the glory and the goodness in the gospel of Christ and more are saved and are having the opportunity to say and hear whoever believes in his name shall not perish but have everlasting life and will keep themselves from the wrath of God. One of the things <clears throat> that's been heavily burdensome for our elders and for our staff, and, and we've had a chance to really engage with just a lot of churches over the last six months. Some really cool things happening, ecumenical things that are happening that I'm really excited about. But as you talk to more folks in the church, one of the most difficult things is actually going and trying to apply that which we know to be true. And so I'm not even going to give you guys a, hey, go and do this thing. 
side maybe reflect on Jesus. That's just always a good one. But this is, this has got to shake us. Like, this has got to, to change something in us. Or, and sorry, at least shape a desire to change something in us. It should move the people of God. And if it doesn't, then hear me, it's not the word of God because the word of God says it goes forth and it always accomplishes its purpose. It's going forth. So for us, we would have to just say, no, 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 we reject what you want to do in me. I'm going to stay the same. And staying the same is not an option for us because we know the same is not Jesus. And the hope is glorification in heaven. Until we get there, we're running the race, Paul says. So find something. Reflect on Christ. And if that's, that's getting your Bible, if that's prayer, awesome. If that's realizing that, man, you know what? Like, I've been puffed up with pride. And that has hurt people around me. You need to go and you need to speak to that person. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to repent of the sin maybe that's being convicted of in this moment. Maybe you need to very tangibly turn off social media. One of the things that I love, and maybe I'll commend to us right now, that Redemption Tempe is doing. And I think Gateway maybe too, I'm not sure. But they literally are calling their people to a one-month fast of all social media and news. Just read the Bible, be in the scriptures, and be around people. And just turn the rest of it off. Just, just for a month, re-engage after the election. Because it's not unimportant, it's very important. But what if we were just shaped by one voice for a whole month? Would that change the way that we treat one another? The way we see one another, the way we judge one another, the way we love one another, the witness that we can corporately then have to the world that's watching and wondering, potentially, how are those people able to do it so well? That'd be the hope. So again, I, I don't know what your thing is. Find something. Let us not be a church. Let us not be a people. And again, I'm preaching to my own mind right now. Let me not be a person who hears the word of God in a moment experiences conviction and then goes to lunch. But rather, goes to lunch, because that sounds great, and seeks Jesus, what would you have me do? Let's pray. Lord, we pray, keep us small. Lord, we pray that you would allow us Convict us, rather, to decrease. This is not about my name. It's not about the name of anyone here. It's not about the name of this church, the glory of whatever we do. It's only about you. Lord, we have... We have friends, we have family that right now choose to live in rebellion to you, Lord. And the wrath of God, your wrath is still sitting on them, God. And I pray, like John the Baptist, we would live in such a way that would point to a better way. And then your power, Spirit of God, that you would save. God, that you would allow us and give us 
Equip us, Lord, with boldness and, and a voice, God, that preaches and speaks from the wilderness as John has to calls people back to Christ that they might be saved. God, what's at stake is your creation, your people. And we want to be about your work. So help us, Jesus. We, we need you. We confess there's just things in our heart and our minds that just seem like little speed bumps or roadblocks that get in the way. Lord, remove those. Convict us. Do not let us just go to lunch right now and not be convicted by the Spirit of God. And lastly, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you decreased, you made yourself low, and you were raised up on a cross. You were killed in our place. Thank you that you decreased by your will, that no one took your life, you laid it down of your own accord, that we might increase, that we might be saved, that we might be yours. It is only because of what you've done, God, that any of this is worth doing. May we bathe richly in the waters of forgiveness and of love that comes from God in Jesus through the Spirit of God. Do a work that we cannot do ourselves. Form us into the church you'd want us to be. Amen.